This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. Well, welcome again to another exciting series of episodes that we are covering. Um, as a special series of episodes with politicians, uh, it's it's a very rare uh, kind of series that we have started a few months ago, but it has gained a lot of popularity amongst uh, our audience. So we're pretty happy to continue doing it with a series of politicians that we kind of chose uh, and we have chosen to talk on different topics of interest without making it too political. Uh, but still talking about something which is more valuable for our audience. So in today's episode, we're talking about um, strengthening the bilateral relationship between India and Australia, which has been at its peak in the last few um, months, uh, when both the prime ministers have kind of visited each other's countries. Uh, Firstly, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese visiting India in the month of March, and then Prime Minister Modi coming here to Sydney, and extending that warmth, that was a much needed warmth, I would say, and, and, and a kind of a refresher for this relationship. So to talk about this, we've got uh, Jodie Mackay, and she is the former New South Wales um, opposition leader. Um, she was the opposition leader from June 2019 to June 2021, and she was also the New South Wales shadow minister for multiculturalism which I I suppose it's a very, very interesting portfolio when you are dealing with different kind of cultures and understanding them as well. Um, She is also an expert in the bilateral India-Australia relationship. Um, She's the national chair of Australia's leading business chamber, which is dedicated to promoting the bilateral trade and investment between India and Australia. So I would say this is a very interesting topic uh, which sits right in the expertise of Jodi. So why don't Jodi start off with a bit of your story on how did you decide to kind of uh, enter into politics and then how did you kind of move towards uh, becoming an expert now in the India-Australia bilateral relationship before we kind of talk more about different things? Oh my gosh, Saurabh. So you just want me to basically give you my whole life in a couple of minutes, right? <laughs> so Stop let off. me start. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me um, let me start about why I went into politics. So like like so many people, I went in to make a change and make a difference. And I was uh, my first time in politics was actually in two thousand and seven, and I was the member for Newcastle. I was also a cabinet minister uh, between two thousand and seven and two thousand and eleven. I had a range of portfolios. Then I went out of politics. And then I went back in again as the member for Strathfield in 2015 and I had six years then representing that wonderful community. And that is at the time where we weren't, Labor wasn't in government, so therefore I was a senior shadow. And then I became, as you said, the leader of the opposition and I retired from that role in uh, 2021 uh, and then I left politics uh, in the December that year. So I've had, you know, about 18 months out of politics and really enjoying it, to be honest. So how did I go from that into the India-Australia space? Well, my love of India started with my community. So in Strathfield, we have a significant Indian-Australian community. And I really did immerse myself in the vibrancy and diversity of India and the community I represented. So when I left politics... Um, I thought about what I 
enjoyed and what I was good at and also what I saw as the opportunity. And so I picked up on the bilateral relationship. So what I had started in politics, I continued post-politics. So I became the national chair of the Australia-India Business Council. I'm the first non-Indian uh, uh, national chair. I've also got a vice chancellor's fellow role for South Asia with Western Sydney University. Uh, and uh, also last week, I was appointed to the board of the Centre for Australia-India Relations by the foreign minister. So you can see that I've got this kind of um, collection of uh, roles that are really around the bilateral relationship and it is such an exciting time to be in this space. Marvellous. Um, I think uh, you did a pretty good job with that elevator pitch um, or a short story of your <laughs> I life. Could go on. I could go on, but <laughs> that'll do for now. So we have recorded a couple of episodes with the CEOs and founders. So we call it as an elevator pitch or a short story about your startup. Um, if oh, you can good. take that to an investor to convince them. But it was a really good story, uh, Jodi. And I think um, it's a pretty impressive story of how you kind of decided to move out of politics uh, at a time when your party was getting more and more popular at that time. But you decided, I want to continue doing something which is of my interest. Uh, and you had a linkage with the Indian diaspora. And that's why I thought, why not just invest in this bilateral relationship and make my contributions towards that? So just mm -hmm. in continuation to that, Jodi, uh, we want to understand from you more about the role of the Indian-Australian diaspora in growing this relationship further. How do you see this now from moving uh, forward? Now, the prime ministers have done their job at their level. Um, and when we were interviewing Amit, uh, Amit Ji, uh, who is a former Indian diplomat, he said that it's not only about the governments. It's about the people-to-people -people connections. When people of India mm -hmm. come to Australia, when people of Australia go to India, they do businesses, they understand about how does the Reserve Bank of Australia works, Reserve Bank of India works, and go to that depth. Only then we will be able to establish the strength of this diaspora and relationship. Do you agree on that? I do agree on that. I think the people-people connection is really important. But I also think more broadly that the Indian diaspora in Australia is incredibly important. So we have a, a diaspora here of about 750,000. So within the next five to 10 years, that'll be well over a million. And when I say that uh, and tell people in India, I mean, obviously 25 million a population is not great, but a million of that 25 million are Indian Australians. That is significant. So that is a power that that, you know, that community wields um, both in politics and in decision making. But more importantly, within the bilateral relationship, the diaspora are the living bridge. Uh, you know, I, I have always immersed myself in the diaspora. That's where my love of India began. But this was identified well and truly before Australia by Prime Minister Modi, who's always looked at how we can leverage the global diaspora for India's benefit. In Australia, Peter Varghese identified it in his uh, 2018 India strategy, so the kind of Bible for uh, the India-Australia relationship. And he said that we have to do better here in Australia. We have to look at how how we can use the diaspora in this relationship, particularly in the business relationship, because, you know, the diaspora really do know India. So in India is, you know, 28 states, eight union territories. It's incredibly important that we have people from Kerala who are, um, you know, speak Malayali, who know the culture of Kerala, who can connect businesses who want to do business there. Um, we have the same in Telangana or we have the same in Punjab. You know, have all these people here 
who have a love of both countries and we should be utilising that. So we know now that we need to do it. The question is how we do it. And so the government has set up uh, the Centre for Australia-India Relations and one of its roles is around diaspora engagement. And I guess um, so I think you can uh, put a highlight on this as well uh, for people who might want to know more about that. So since you are working in the AIB Council, have you identified some of the challenges that uh, we might encounter while we are trying to make sure that the two diasporas in interact? Because, you know, these are two different completely cultures. I come from India. I'm born and brought up in India, and I've been now studying and working in Australia now for four years. Um, I understand that the culture of India and culture of Australia, the way they interact is completely different. So <laughs> how do you make sure that that conflict of cultures can be resolved because that's the most important thing to strengthening that relationship. Yeah, you're so right, Saurabh. I don't see it a conflict of cultures, though. I see that, you know, there is a need for cultural appreciation and understanding and, and awareness. And, you know, I guess that's where I am well-placed because I have immersed myself in the India culture here and in India. As a non-Indian, you know, I appreciate it. I'm always learning. But I do see that those differences uh, can certainly you know, they can be overcome, but they can certainly make the relationship far more complex. So I think that there is a couple of things that we need to do. One is that, um, you know, if I look at doing business in India, what we always say is, at the very least, start with finding a trusted partner. So find someone in India that uh, knows, uh, you know, the sector or knows the state or someone that you absolutely trust. Because part of the challenge is not just in how do you, you know, increase a person's understanding of India culture or India business, but it is in fact about how you can um, make sure that uh, in increasing that knowledge that you're actually achieving an outcome. So, you know, demystifying India is really important. And I would say that is the major issue we have here in Australia because people still see India 15 to 20 years ago. You know, they went backpacking in India. They see an undeveloped India. You know, India has changed so much. The progress is extraordinary. So we need to be able to demystify India and we need to be able to promote the new India. And simply saying that it's the most populous country in the world, that it's got the fastest growing economy uh, of any large economy, Simply saying, you know, that, 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 you know, India is a country to watch, that it's going to be the juggernaut of the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, that doesn't connect with people. So what do we have to do to convince people to do business in India? And I think that's where we as a chamber come in as well. So there are, you know, there's a role, you mentioned what Amit said in regard to um, government and then where business comes in. But I think government has done a pretty good job of setting the environment so the free trade agreement, which was entered into uh, in May last year, that does provide uh, the platform for business to do well. It's just we've still got some way to go to convince Australian businesses in particular. You know, after the free trade agreement, sort of we saw just this run of Indian ministers wanting to come to Australia to promote it. We hosted, you know, trade promotion council uh, delegations. We had uh, DFAT special visitors program, which hosted you know so many visiting dignitaries so we had this run of enthusiasm from India and 
I think Australia was pretty slow to react and to, to give the same back. As you said in your introduction, since we've seen Prime Minister Albanese there in March and Prime Minister Modi here this month, we have seen things improve. But it has been a it is a slow journey and we've we've got to do more to to highlight the opportunities. Absolutely. And I think we have taken the right steps in the right direction. And, you know, you have to start from somewhere. So somewhere has started that right step, which is a pretty good sign for both the economies as well in the long run. Now, this is going to be a dicey question for you, Jody. I'm sure if uh, George would have joined by now, my co-host, he would have asked you for sure this thing. What has been the most challenging part of your role? Uh, you can talk about you know, pick one from while, while you were in politics and maybe pick one from when now you're out of politics. Is there any anything challenging that you find about your role and how do you overcome that challenge? Because this is something, you know, it's a great learning curve for anyone who is in or outside politics just to understand how does a politician thinks, what kind of challenges they face or when once they leave politics, how do they overcome challenges? Okay, so I'll give you one for both. So in terms of leaving politics, I guess it's then, well, what do you want to do post-politics? Because it is such a change. So for me, as I said, I looked to what I enjoyed, what where I saw enormous opportunity, and I've ended up working in the bilateral, you know, India-Australia space. So when you leave politics, you've got to think about what you want to do post-politics. Uh, and then when I was in politics, I think, you know, one of the most challenging things that happened to me was knowing when to step down as opposition leader. Um, you mentioned that, you know, we, we look like forming government, we would have formed government, it was time, but it was also time for me to step down. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that I had was accepting that good leadership is about knowing when to step up, but also when to step down. And so that was, uh, for me, a bit of an epiphany because the, uh, the the impact on me personally, you know, in giving up leadership was was challenging, was difficult, but it was the right thing for me to do and for our party at that particular time because I, I wanted, I needed to bring people together so that we would win and, you know, and that's that's what I did. Um, and, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do. And... Uh... What about outside of uh, your political life? So now in your role, is there anything that you find challenging? Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm a lot, I mean, this is personally, I guess I'm a lot like there are other people out there probably feeling the same as me, which is how do you, you know, how do you pay your mortgage? How do you you know, buy groceries, how do you do all the things that you need to do, but also how how do you try and get some balance into that? And I think what COVID taught us was that, you know, it is okay to work from home. COVID taught us that, you know, perhaps being in the one job uh, for a long time is, is it's okay to change jobs. You know, there are a range of things that that COVID experience, I think, gave uh, gave individuals. For me, it was okay, well, life is so short, you know, how do you pay the bills? How do you, you know, invest in your professional life? But also how do you get a balance there? So what I've tried to do, my husband and I, is uh, we spend time uh, in the country where I grew up, a little place called Gloucester. I was there over the weekend. Uh, it's a farm uh, and, you know, 
my mum is there, she's in aged care. But what we're both trying to do is to say, right, every second weekend we're actually going to go away. You know, so yesterday I spent I spent the day in the garden and, uh, you know, I pruned the roses. I went and saw my mum. Then I, um, I, I I mucked out the stable because it was it had been there a long time but we hadn't actually, you know, cleaned it up. So, you know, I, I watered my garden and, and those sort of things I think uh, just – I, I think they're really important. They're, they're kind of soul nurturing. So for me, that's been really important since leaving politics, mostly because I didn't have time when I was in politics. So leaving has been, for me, quite transformational personally as well. And I think this is one of the challenges that uh, not only the Indian and the Australian economies uh, are facing, but the global economy is facing at the moment. The increasing interest rates, uh, increasing uh, house prices. Uh, we know how much uh, the cost of living has increased. Uh, personally, mm -hmm. for us, we are mm -hmm. in Sydney, uh, but even around the world, I think it's 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 the same case. So, how do you see this also acting as a major variable of uh, you know coming back to today's topic uh, of this India-Australia relationship? Because these parameters and these variables of what's happening externally outside of India and Australia kind of also affect how this relationship evolves ahead, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I can, you know, you can talk about housing prices, you can talk about interest rates, you can talk about the price of groceries, inflation, uh, unemployment, you can talk about all those issues. But I guess if I was to relate it to the India-Australia relationship, I can talk about the fact that we have to be a trading nation. So, you know, we, we actually have to, we've always been a trading nation because of our proximity. Um, but usually, I guess, in, historically, that's that's been around resources, the resources sector. So what the agreement with India does, I think, is really open a range of um, other opportunities. So, for instance, there's a focus in the free trade agreement on, um, on land meat, uh, to India on seafood, on lobsters. You know, there's a focus on the other side for skilled labour. There's a focus on encouraging uh, young people from India to come here and study STEM subjects. This free trade agreement and the strategic partnership is so broad. Uh, and then later this year, we have the finalisation of that with something that the acronym is called SEEKER, which is the Comprehensive Economic Cooperation Agreement. But I, I raise these issues in the context of being a trading nation and looking at how we build our economy more generally. So the free trade agreement um, has a target of about uh, $45 billion by 2030. So our current two-way trade with India is $27 billion. It wants to increase to $45 billion because of the ECTA. But when the trade minister, Piyush Goyal, was here uh, just after the agreement was announced, he pushed that to a really ambitious target of $100 billion. So, you know, there is so much potential within this relationship. And, you know, there are many variables that play into the, you know, the stability and, um, and security of an economy. But from where I come from, trade is important. And that's, you know, that's always where I, I look at it, apart from the fact that my mortgage payments are through the roof and we're having to sell our house and a whole range of, a whole range of things. But, um, you know, from where I sit as national chair of the AIBC, that's, that's my focus when I look at the economy. That's very interesting. And one of the intriguing points when I also looked at your profile, Jodi, was that you are currently 
the vice chancellor's fellow uh, for South Asia within the Western Sydney University. So mm -hmm. you are kind of helping the industry and research outcomes towards a better international collaboration. Now, I want to bring this point into consideration. When Amitji joined us, we talked about this concept of three C's that define the India-Australia relationship, which is cricket, commonwealth and curry. When Prime Minister Modi was here, he kind of reiterated the same fact that it's in fact now moving from the three C's and it's moving to the three E's or it mm. can move to the three D's, whatever vocabulary you might want to use. And those three E's were education, energy and environment, or you can mm. say education, energy and economy. So do you agree uh, with the role of those three C's and the three E's that we are talking about? <laughs> well, I'm really pleased that we've kind of moved beyond the three C's because I think, you know, I've always felt somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah, I, thought, I thought you were fond of the Indian curry. Well, I am fond of Indian curry, but I'm um, not overly co comfortable in defining the relationship based on curry <laughs> because, I, I mean, like Prime Minister Modi, I think it's it hasn't just evolved. It's far deeper than that, right? Um, you know, we'll always have, have curry and cricket, uh, but you know, the relationship has to mature and, and be far more sophisticated. I think... Um, you know, he mentioned the, the the three E's. I think of that. I mean, energy. You know, sustainability. Or it's a given, right? So we are going to be working closely with India. In fact, a lot of what we're seeing, the interest we're seeing, is in green power, renewable energy, in um, electric vehicles. You know, there's a there's a great opportunity for Australia and India in in that particular sector. But education is not just a sector, it's about people, comes back to this whole people thing. And uh, Prime Minister Albanese spoke about it being the most critical sector. And what I'm really happy about is that our universities have moved beyond just recruiting international students. So, you know, our universities, when they looked at India, they saw it as a place for student recruitment. Now education is about partnerships and collaboration. It's about, you know, translation of research, yes, but how do you get industry and commercial outcomes? So I, I love my role with Western Sydney University. And uh, the role is twofold, I guess. The reason why I took it is twofold. The first is that Western Sydney is home to the largest diaspora. So, you know, we have, uh, gosh, tens of thousands of our Indian Australian community that live in Western Sydney. So the university is in the heart of that, which is what appeals to me about this wonderful, diverse, you know, globally responsible university. Um, but also because it's about partnerships. So I was with the university uh, at the end of March in India and, you know, we, we formed uh, agreements with uh, a number of other universities over there. The sectors we targeted was startup. We looked at water and sustainable agriculture. They were the three areas we explored. But it, it, it's, it's about, you know, what excites me is kind of this double degree. So this, you know, you can get a degree in India and, and a degree here by doing that kind of exchange, academic exchange. Uh, you know, you, you can sign a, an agreement with a startup hub that isn't attached to a university but it's a government startup hub and then you can look at how that kind of exchange would work in being able to support a whole range of startups simply by connecting globally and sharing information so I, I think that education is such 
an incredibly important part of this relationship. And I am excited about the fact that universities are now looking at establishing in India. So Prime Minister Modi has said that this is the way he wants to go. Uh, he's encouraging universities from around the world to look at establishing a campus in India, so not just this collaborative partnership approach. And that's terrific. That is absolutely fabulous. And we saw Deakin University, it's established at Gift City there in Gujarat, Wollongong University. And so I think there's a great deal of excitement within the university sector. But there's also uh, an awareness of risk. And this is, I think, where when we talk about demystifying India and the work that the Modi government still has to do, it has to be about managing that risk for universities, you know, managing risk for companies, because they've traditionally seen the complexity of India and it being, you know, high risk. It's not, it shouldn't be. And so with Prime Minister Modi inviting universities to come there, that risk level is, one would think, somewhat reduced or significantly reduced. So I just love the student mobility aspect. I think, you know, we've seen our international students come here and have decided to live here and just make this place so much, you know, so much a better country. So I think, you know, we have much to much to be happy about and to, you know, and to, you know, be optimistic about with education and the direction that it's headed. Absolutely. And I think international education is one of the interesting areas that uh, we need to look at because it's the fastest growing sector, one of the fastest growing sectors and industries in Australia. So it benefits Australia in terms of education, not only in terms of education, but it also benefits indirectly the other sectors like the hospitality, um, the events sector, because, you know, there's a there's a high chance for them to get uh, staff recruited out of uh, yeah, of schools is such a huge issue here in Australia. You know, it, you mentioned aged care, you mentioned events, but I would also throw in, you know, IT. Some of the, you know, you name the sector, we have quite possibly a skill shortage here. So being able to fill that with young, you know, Indian students or young Indians who want to come here is really exciting. And you know what? I, what I love, and possibly what you love as well, Saurabh, is this. You know, just because we're such a multicultural community, everyone is welcome. And, you know, so the diversity when you come here, I think, you know, some people are quite shocked at, you know, you if, if you're new here, you walk around, you see the world in one street. Uh, and, and it's just the most amazing thing about this country. You mentioned my multicultural portfolio. Well, when I was opposition leader, I love it so much that I elevated the multicultural portfolio to sit with me because I think that, you know, when, when we get multiculturalism right, then, you know, we are such a strong, invincible country. And multiculturalism to me as well is also about, tolerance and it's it's this kind of difference thing that we spoke about um, earlier I love that when you're here you can speak your language and wear the clothes that you want and eat the food I love that you can practice your religion you know I, I love it, it it's just such a welcoming country and and so when we have students here you know I I love the fact that I can get on a train and 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 see women like me in saris, you know, like I, I wear saris. Um, I had this, let me tell you this wonderful story, Sora, which just gives you kind of, you know, how this country can be so welcoming and it's, it's multiculturalism. During COVID, I was on the train and there, 
I had a sari. I was actually going to a BAPS event at the Opera House and I had this young man who was uh, in the carriage. I had a mask on and he came over. He said, are you Indian? I said, I'm not. And he said, but you're wearing a sari. I said, oh, I'm a member of parliament. And he pulled out his phone and he showed me a photo of his mum and he said, you make me miss my mum. And he'd been here for just three months as an international student. Yet here I was, a non-Indian in a sari, and it made him feel at home. And so, you know, that to me is what's wonderful about this country. Exceptional. And I think I've experienced the same thing, Jody. So outside of my podcast, I also run my own meetup group in Sydney, where we've already got around 1200 plus members. So I organize weekend walks because Sydney is one of the world's best places to organize coastal walks or any kind of city walk. So recently, I think I've had really popular walks like Kuji to Bondi, Spit to Manly, and a couple of more walks where we have had people from almost all kinds of continents on this world that you can think of. Um, and that's the, diversity, that's the diversity, you know, Sydney possesses because I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, interacting with different cultures and learning more about how different cultures operate. And it's always a challenge because, you know, this is one of the things that I found out when I was here as an international student four years ago. Indians would always want to chat with Indians. Chinese would always want to chat, to chat with Chinese. Indonesians would always love to chat with Indonesians. And this was one of my points because I was also a student ambassador back in my days at UNSW. And I told to a lot of students that if you want to really learn something and come out of your comfort zone, start interacting and building a relationship with someone from a different mm -hmm. culture because that's when you will have a different point of view, a different perspective. Yes, yeah, did, did you also feel that while you were kind of leading the Ministry for Multiculturalism? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's the pros and cons of that, right? So, you know, I, I always go to, uh, you know, on, on the weekend there was a big Seek Awards uh, here, right? So that's defined... Uh, you know, I'll go to Onam and that's defined as a Malayali event or, you know, I'll go, I'll go to Pongal for the Tamil community. And it, it, I actually like that. I like the fact that people gather for these celebrations and they do it for their, you know, their, their kind of home country or their home state. But, yes, uh, you know, integration and making sure people understand each other's culture is is really important. And I think that, you know, if your, if your podcast, for instance, can do that in educating people about different elements of culture, then that's great. I mean, during COVID, what I did was, you know, when we had uh, Ramadan, I would connect in with, uh, you know, um, one of the sheikhs and, and we would do a kind of uh, what is Ramadan? What is, you know, what is an iftar? You know, so we would, we would do that. Uh, you know, we would do what is Pongal? You know, I mentioned that. What is what is on it? What is that the when you, you know, how do you celebrate this? So, you know, the, I, I think that sharing of information is is really important because it's joyful as well. It's it's not just about reaching out. It's it's actually joyful. I mean, I, I get so much joy out of just being with people and learning and, you know, that that's very much like my saris, right? So I wear, I have a very fine collection of saris. But when I wear a sari as a non-Indian, I wear it because I appreciate the weaves of India. So I educate myself on, on the weaves. So I kind of step out of my comfort zone. And apart from the fact that putting on a sari can be quite difficult. But again, it's it's kind of embracing something that's new to me and then finding joy in that. 
um you know one of my last few questions for this podcast episode jody will be uh, if we have to sum up all those things that we have just discussed i know we have discussed a lot of things here on this episode in the last yeah. half hour um but are there any two or three critical elements that you see um as as the major variables acting towards um improving or bettering the india australian relationship in the coming 5 years Well, I guess there's a couple of things we've uh, spoken about. One is around cultural understanding. So we've kind of taken that, haven't we, on a little bit of a journey to actually talk about the multiculturalism of Australia. But cultural understanding is really important. And I think, you know, if if we can find a way to remain true to um you know educating people here and in India that's important. And I and I even look at First Nations. I mean, we need people in India to understand, you know, some of our troubled history and the journey we're on for reconciliation. So I guess we've spoken about cultural understanding. I think we've talked about the need for us then to demystify India so that we take advantage of all the amazing opportunities full advantage of that and i guess the sector that we focused on today is is around education so how do we um further the opportunities with education which is not just about recruiting students and that's part of that demystifying india and and using that people people connect that that is there um and i guess the third thing that we've spoken about is that in a time where you know interest rates are high we've got um housing uh, housing housing which is you know at a, at short supply where we've got a commentary every day on how difficult it is that that for me my focus is on the trade aspect so how do you keep that in, that that money flowing in how do you keep australia competitive in a global environment and free trade agreements are critical to that because this is the first i should have mentioned this sorry but this is the first free trade agreement that india has entered into with a western country they've chosen australia australia the first country to acknowledge india independence 75 years ago there's been a strong friendship but we've moved beyond that to being kind of best friends now so uh, you know i i think the times ahead are really exciting um i'm thrilled that i'm in this role uh that i get to actually talk to people uh, like you about it and and to make people understand because it all comes back to understanding between two countries but we have the diaspora we have people we spoke about that and probably that's the best place to end which is where we started on the importance of our diaspora and you know the enormous um contribution that the indian australian uh, community makes to this country absolutely when i think um that's a beautiful way to end this podcast episode because now we understand how important it is for us to value other cultures and kind of remove those cultural stereotypes sometimes we might have of different cultures or oh, indians are like that or oh, chinese are like that or oh, indonesian yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and, and like maybe that. your podcast can play a role in that too sorab i mean you know in in you know in at particular times of the year that are important it would be lovely to to bring someone in to to focus on that you know whether it's um hanukkah for the jewish community or like i said ramadan or you know easter or christmas for the christian community um diwali for the hindu community there's so many things that i i think you know w- we can share that just makes us so much stronger absolutely well thank you so much jody um i want to wish you personally all the very best in in the role that you are in uh with the university and with the australia india business council i hope that you're able to achieve whatever you whatever goals you have set for the next uh, few years 
Thank you, Sarah. And good luck with your podcast. Congratulations on all you've achieved as well. It's fabulous. And I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you so much, Jodi. I hope to see you soon for a cup of coffee, uh, if possible, sometime in Sydney. This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.